Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit our website, nbcmetairie.org. Now here's this week's message. As we get into today's topic, I'm uh, I'm calling it the sign of Christmas, the sign of, of Christmas. And if you got your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to, to Luke chapter 1. We'll be there in, in just a minute. And so you can go ahead and kind of be making your way to, to, to Luke chapter 1. And you know, I was traveling this week for Thanksgiving like, like many of you. And, and I get spoiled because I live here in New Orleans and I live close to, to veterans and I use uh, I-10 a lot. And so if you're ever driving at night, you have the, the lights that cover the road. And so I, I've gotten spoiled because of these lights, you start getting getting out and and you know of course it's getting dark earlier you know it's getting dark around 4 35 o'clock and so you get out in these places as maybe you're traveling and you go man it is dark it is really dark and then you get that thanksgiving traffic you know and you get all these headlights that are coming your way and i don't know about you but it's sometimes it gets difficult to see at night especially with all the headlights that are shining in your eyes and we were traveling uh, on Tuesday, and there's all that traffic both ways, and, and you had the lights from the other car, and I noticed I was, I was looking, even though I'm using my, my GPS, that way I don't really miss anything, but I'm looking for my exit sign, you know? If you've ever gone to travel and see family, you know you're, you know about where your exit sign is, but my family has moved a good bit, and so this isn't the same house that we grew up in, and so I've got to look extra careful for my exit sign, because if I miss my exit sign, well, now i got to go down, and i got to come back, and so you can imagine, my wife looks at me, and she goes, she goes, Dan, you got to stop this, this, you know, this breaking stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. I said, I'm looking for my sign. And so as I was able, we got close to it and I found my exit sign and we were able to get off the road. And as I thought about that, and I thought about as we're getting ready to go into Christmas, did you know that Christmas has a sign? And it's not just like a sign on a, on a billboard or a sign that's an advertisement that that God gave us a sign in the form of a man 2,000 years ago because he didn't want people to miss it. And some people missed it even despite the sign. And so that's where I want us to pick up today in, in Luke chapter 1. Many times when we talk about Christmas, where do we go? We go to Luke chapter 2 because that's where you know you get into Mary being visited by the angel, you get into the shepherds and all of that. And so today we're actually going to start in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to talk about the sign of Christmas. And what was the sign that God gave? It was the prophet. It was the prophet um, John the Baptist. And so today I want to pick up in chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and it says in the days of King Herod of Judah... There was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron. In other words, she was a Levite. There was a lineage of priests. And her name was Elizabeth. 
Verse 6 says, both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. Now this isn't today's sermon, but I want us to be able to clearly see this, that sometimes you can be living for God. You can be doing everything right and you can be moving along. It says they were righteous in God's sight without blame, following the requirements and the commands of the Lord. And what happened? Nevertheless, they didn't have any children. Have you ever been to a place in your life maybe that you said, God, are you punishing me? Why, why is this happening in my life? And I just want you to see, it's not today's sermon, but I just want you to see that it even happened in the lives of people in the Bible. They were doing everything right, living for God. And nevertheless, they weren't able to have children. In verse 8, it says, When his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before the Lord, it happened that he was chosen by Lot. In other words, they essentially rolled the dice and his name came up. And so he was able to go in to uh, the temple there in order to burn incense. And it says, According to the customs of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10, At the hour of incense... The whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Now don't miss this. In verse 11 it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. A lot of times we focus in on the angel coming to visit Mary, but that really wasn't the, the angel that was first seen in the Christmas story. Really, the angel starts right here in, in chapter 1, uh, meeting with Zechariah. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and standing to the right of the altar of incense, verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and he was overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you'll name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he'll never drink any wine or beer and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while he is in his mother's womb. Now, the reason for that is it's not because he's a Baptist, John the Baptist, okay? Wine or beer, anything like that. I want to bring you back. The point is, the point is that he was taking a Nazarite vow. And that Nazarite vow was for, the, for his whole life. And there were several things. He couldn't cut his hair. That was part of it. It's not really mentioned here. But it talks about not being able to drink of the fruit of the wine. In fact, if you were a Nazarite, you weren't even allowed to, to eat grapes. And so his whole life is steered in this direction that God has a call on his life. Verse 16, it says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous and make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Did you hear it? He's going to be the sign. He's going to prepare everybody. And then check this out. Look at looks what happens. Here's the response of Zechariah. Now, before I read the response, if it wasn't enough that an angel came and stood in their presence, if it wasn't enough that he, of all the people, that his name was drawn to go in and to burn incense, if all that wasn't enough, 
Look at this. Well, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. He says, how can this happen? How can this even begin to take place? And as the story goes, the, the, the angel begins to say, look, my name's Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and this is going to happen because God said it's going to happen. And his mouth winds up being closed. And what happens later on, though, is that the baby is born, John and he becomes that person. We're going to talk about them here in just a second. But I don't want us to miss the sign. In fact, you've got that quote that's in your notes. Hopefully you're able to pick up a set of notes on your, on your way in. But it's by Warren Wearsby, and he says, John was sent as a witness to Jesus Christ to tell people that the light had come into the world. The nation of Israel, in spite of all of its spiritual advances, advantages, was blind to its own Messiah. And even his own father said, how can this happen? How can this happen? How can all of this stuff take place? I'm an old man. My, my wife, she's older in years. How can any of this begin to take place? And what I want us to see this morning is that God wants to prepare our hearts for his work this season. God wants to prepare our hearts for the Christmas season. And in the same way that John the Baptist, listen to this, write this down, was number one, he was a birth in the midst of barrenness. He was a birth in the midst of barrenness. Say, well, Pastor Dan, what does that mean for me? He was a birth in the midst of barrenness. Here's what I want you to hear, is that our God is still in the miracle business. And as we get ready to go into this Christmas season, he was working a miracle in Elizabeth's life. Later on, we'll have the, the conception by the Holy Spirit in Mary's life. But I want you to think of that presence of the angel that was there to announce God's word of encouragement and to speak into Zechariah but instead to looking to God by faith, the priest, Zechariah, looks at himself and he looks at his wife and he decides that the birth of a son is just impossible. And what I want us to see is that how beautiful it is as we prepare our hearts for the Christmas season, that that is actually what they had been praying for. Go back to verse 13. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Isn't that beautiful? Have you ever given up on some of your prayers? Have you ever given up and you said, God, I prayed for this, I asked for this, I don't know if it's gonna happen. And nevertheless, God remembers, this is good, God remembers his prayer even when he did it. And as we go into the Christmas season, I don't want us to get so tangled up with family and presents and, and uh, Christmas trees and ornaments and all those different things that we forget that our God is still very much in the miracle business. And that's what Christmas is all about. Is that even the sign that showed up announcing Jesus, that it was a miracle in and of itself. I read a story this week that was really impactful to me. It was by Tony Campolo. I've mentioned some of his stories in years past because he's done ministry all over the world. And he was also a professor. He worked at a school. And so 
He talks about how several years, probably even a couple decades back, he said, I was a guest speaker at chapel in John Brown University in Arkansas. He said, I had preached there on two other occasions and I enjoyed a, a warm reception and good responses from the students. He said, on this particular day, as I was speaking, chapel was packed out. And I happened to look out into the crowd and I, he says that I noticed a, a middle-aged couple that was there. And the reason that stood out is because you had all these, you know, you had all these college students. So they're either in their late teenage years or they're in their early 20s. And so you would see that, that a middle-aged couple would probably stand out. And the reason that, that chapel was so packed out is because for many Christian schools, especially during this day and age, you were required to go to chapel. And so here he is, he's looking at this couple, and he said, obviously they weren't students, and they didn't appear to be dressed as a part of the faculty. The two of them seemed to hang on my every word. And after the service was over, this couple came up to me, and they explained who they were and why they had come. Listen to this. It said their daughter, who had been a student at John Brown, had been very difficult rebelling against everything that they believed and everything that they tried to teach her. She had become a part of the goth culture and she had actually cut her hair and, and just wanting to get it, mom and dad, and that sense of rebellion. Uh, she wanted to cut her hair in a mohawk style. She wore only black clothes and she listened to depressing and angry music that seemed to verge on the demonic. Worse than that, her behavior towards her parents had become abominable. She seldom, if ever, had anything kind to say to them. And she was constantly sneering at their Christianity and she mocked their Christian lifestyle. How she had ever ended up at this Christian school was beyond their understanding. These parents told me that because it was a requirement for all the students, their daughter had been at chapel when I had preached last at John Brown. And on that particular day, my message had been a very specific evangelistic message. And, and when the invitation came to accept Christ, and when it was given, God touched her heart though. And she became a Christian. She made a decision to be saved. God opened her heart and worked a miracle in her life. After that chapel, she had gone back to her dormitory and she wrote a letter to her parents begging for forgiveness for all the hurt that she had inflicted upon them and promised that because Christ was now in her life, that things were going to be different. Have you ever seen that happen in, pers in a person's life? Sometimes here at, at Memorial, amongst the staff, when, when someone comes to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, and, and just there's just this dramatic change, we, we sometimes will say, man, when that person got saved, they got saved. Have you ever heard that? They didn't just pray a prayer. They didn't just come forward. They didn't just sign the card and say, okay, yeah, I know I need Jesus. I mean, when they, when they got saved, I mean, God came in and just changed all of their desires. That's exactly what happened to their daughter. And so she writes this note out. The following weekend, she promised to come home just so they could be together and have face-to-face -face reconciliation. It was such a well-written and beautiful letter that she mailed it right away. But unfortunately, the next day, 
This young girl was going somewhere, didn't really have a, a car there on campus, and so she attempted to cross the highway. She was hit by a car, and she was killed immediately. Mom and dad were devastated. They were just absolutely devastated. And they buried their daughter, and they were convinced that their prayers that had gone up for years and years for her salvation had been in vain. But then, two days after the funeral, the letter arrived. And they realized that God is still in the miracle business. And I want you to hear that. And I want you to hear that, yes, this story of John the Baptist being born happened 2,000 years ago, but God is still in the miracle business today. And as we prepare and as we get ready for Christmas, I want you to be reminded that God is still working miracles in our lives. Second thing that I want you to write down, just very briefly this morning, God wants to prepare our hearts for His work this season in the same way that John the Baptist, listen to this, was a prophet in the time of peril. He was a prophet in the time of peril. Now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. I want us to flip over to John chapter 1. It's amazing to me that Luke chapter 1 starts with John the Baptist. As you get into John chapter 1, one book over, again, the very first chapter starts out with John the Baptist. He is the sign. And, and here's something that I want us to understand, is that John the Baptist is technically the last Old Testament prophet. You say, the last Old Testament prophet? Aren't we in the New Testament, Pastor Dan? In fact, we're four books in. Why, why is he the last Old Testament prophet? Now, this might blow your mind, okay? But the New Testament, or also known as the New Covenant, doesn't actually start. The New Covenant doesn't actually start until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Did you capture that? It's the New Covenant. It's being ushered in with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so everything leading up to the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is technically still Old Testament, Old Covenant. And so John the Baptist is the last prophet to that Old Covenant. And so here's what I, I want us to see. I want us to look in John chapter 1. Let's flip over to verse 19. Let's look at verse 19. This was John's testimony. So now that little baby boy that was promised is, is all grown up. John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? Who is this guy? And he didn't deny it, but he confessed it. I am not the Messiah. Well, what then, they asked. Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Now, you said, Pastor Dan, right here in your note, it says that he's a prophet. I want us to understand there's a difference in being a, a prophet and notice it says the prophet. They're just, they're going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, where Moses talked about and he prophesied that there would be the prophet. Essentially, Moses was talking all the way back in that Old Testament section about Jesus coming and Jesus is the ultimate prophet. And so he, so John the Baptist is not going to take that title as being the prophet. No, he answered. Verse 22, well, who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And here it is. He's the sign. And he's, and he's talking about it from the book of Isaiah. He's going to quote here from the book of Isaiah. In verse 23, he says, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight 
the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. And so I want you to grab this concept. Up until this point, there have been 400 years of silence. That's a long time to not hear from a prophet. You say, just to give you an idea of, of 400 years, we mentioned, uh, we mentioned last week that it was, it's been 400 years since the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock and had the first Thanksgiving. Does that kind of give you an idea of how long we're talking about? They haven't had a word from the Lord in 400 years. No prophetic voice has been heard from God to His people. And so John is that voice after 400 years. And he's saying, guys, it's time to get ready. It's time to get your heart right. And here he is. He's John the baptizer or John the Baptist. And you got to understand this. This is a big deal. You say, well, Dan, Pastor Dan, we, we're in a Baptist church. You know, I, I've heard of people getting baptized my whole life, you know? There's different ways that people get baptized, but, but what, what's so new and what's so special about getting baptized? Well, this is important because the only people that were usually baptized were people who were not Jewish converting to Judaism. Did you catch that? They weren't Jewish. They weren't part of the people of God. They weren't Israelites, but they were converting. That's when they got baptized. And so here what you have is you've got all these Jewish folks getting baptized. Do you think that's going to make people's ears perk up? You better believe that's going to make people's ears perk up. And that's why you have the religious leaders going, what are all these Jews doing getting baptized? What in the world is going on? Because they were repenting. They were getting their hearts right. The, the sign that John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, he's coming. Are you ready? And so he was that prophet in a time of peril. And what does he do? He tells people, guys, you've got to be broken. You've been living in your pride. You've been living, you've, you've been the captain of your own ship. And now it's time for you to be broken before God because the Savior's coming. And he was there, he's preaching truth. And the people responded with those broken hearts. And here's what I want us to see. There's this trend throughout the Old Testament of whenever God wants to work in a man or woman's life, he breaks them. Whenever God wants to work in your life and in my life, what does he do? He breaks them. I mean, catch it. Abraham, all right, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son. He breaks Abraham. Abraham walks out in obedience. He doesn't. He becomes the father of many nations. God blesses him. Joseph, think about this. Joseph, God breaks him. He's sold into slavery. And he's, all that has taken place before God really begins to move in his life. Moses has to confront Pharaoh before the people were let out of slavery. And you and I, God will break us in order to use us to our maximum potential. So don't be surprised when God begins to break your heart. Don't begin to be surprised when God says, don't be consumed with decorations and parties and presents this Christmas. He said, I want to use you. And do you realize that even the name Israel, Israel itself, do you know what Israel even means? Israel means wrestles with God. Why? Because Jacob 
wrestled with God, popped his hip out of place. Now he's walking with a limp for the rest of his life. But his name was changed. And for you and I, God breaks us. Sometimes we walk with a limp because we've had to wrestle with God, but nevertheless, it shows that God has a future for us. He was a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet in the time of peril saying, guys, in order for God to use you, in order for you to accept the Savior, you've got to be broken too. And they came in droves to be baptized. He was the last prophet and he reminds us to look inward into our hearts. Have we been broken? And then the final thing that I just want to mention this morning is that God wants us to prepare our hearts for His work this season in the same way that John the Baptist was a messenger of the Messiah. Now this is good. Look with me in verse 24. In verse 24, it says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Remember, they're like, who is this guy? What's he here to do? And so they asked him, why then to do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah? So they're asking all these questions that I just explained to you. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet that I talked about earlier. In verse 26, he says, I baptize with water, John answered them, but someone stands among you, but you don't know him, talking about Jesus. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. Verse 28, all this happened at Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing, okay? So it kind of gives you the setting and then don't miss this. Look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming. He's been a sign for Jesus to come and now it's finally taking place. He saw Jesus coming toward him. Don't miss what he says. Don't miss these words. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How many times have I read that? Or how many times have I heard that preached in church? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I just glossed over it. I've heard Jesus be called the Lamb of God my whole life. But as he is mentioning that, remember, John the Baptist is the sign. The people of Israel, that would have perked their interest. Their their ears would have heard something of, of the Lamb of God because the people of Israel, they were familiar with lambs being used for sacrifices. At Passover, each family even had to bring a lamb. So you're talking about two million people coming into Jerusalem. It would have been like our Mardi Gras. And everybody comes in and they've all got to bring a lamb in order for it to be sacrificed. So their, eye, their ears would have perked up with them. And then if that wasn't enough, every single day of the year, two lambs were sacrificed at the temple. So when they hear the Lamb of God, immediately they're going to understand what's going on. And so people are bringing personal sacrifices, and those lambs are being brought by the people. But here, don't miss this, here is God's Lamb. Not a person's Lamb, God's Lamb given by God. And isn't it fascinating? Our nativity story, I'm getting excited about our Christmas pageant that we're going to have all the school kids back in our gym and we're going to invite families and we're going to have, we're going to talk about those shepherds. 
I'm getting excited about our, our live nativity where we're going to have goats and sheep and all that. But after I studied this passage, I said to myself, man, when we have those little sheep that are running around and the kids from our community, is there, they're going to want to pick them up and they're going to want to hold them, all of that. And, and uh, there's something that's going to be different, at least in my heart, where I say, they're holding a little lamb. They have no idea the lamb of God that came into the world. Isn't it fascinating that the nativity story that the shepherds were told to go witness the Lamb of God? They say, well, Pastor Dan, that's common knowledge. Even people that aren't Christians know that the shepherds came to go and see them. But here's what's more fascinating. Is that the Mishnah, which is a sacred oral Jewish tradition written down, tells us that the sheep intended for the daily sacrifices in the temple were fed in the Bethlehem pastures. Don't miss this. This Christmas season, when you hear about the shepherds coming to visit Jesus, these were the same shepherds that watched the sheep that would be used for sacrifice. And here they are watching the Lamb of God who later on is going to be used as sacrifice for the sins of the world. And John the Baptist puts all of this together in one little sentence. He is the lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we get ready to close today, I came across something that I don't know. I don't know if it's funny or sad. I, sometimes I read things and I'm like, I don't know. Is that funny? Is that sad? When I was growing up, we used to, sometimes you see people um, who have wars with their Christmas decorations in the neighborhoods. Sometimes you see that. Some of your neighbors have that. And you got these folks that have lights and inflatables and all that. I got a guy right next to me who, uh, He's at war with himself. I mean, there is, there is very few bits of grass you could see in his yard. But uh, I, I saw something that came across my desk this week. It says a couple of decades ago, there was a story about something that uh, supposedly happened in St. Louis, Missouri. And how apparently someone stole the doll that represented baby Jesus from the manger outside of City Hall. I can't imagine. I mean, even if you're in competition with City Hall, you're saying that the still baby Jesus. I don't know if that's a prank. I don't know what, what to think about that. The next morning, there was a television newscaster who announced in a somber voice, someone has stolen Jesus. Last night, someone went to the manger scene at City Hall and stole baby Jesus. And in the morning, Jesus is missing. And so they, I don't know, I guess they, they were kind of playing this up. And then, so they said, if you have any information about where Jesus might be found, please contact this station immediately. We are most anxious to recover Jesus and put him back where he belongs. They were missing Jesus. This Christmas... It's so easy to go through all of the motions and yet miss Jesus. Where is he? And John the Baptist was the sign saying, don't miss this. Don't let the headlights of Christmas keep you from missing the sign which alters the course of your life. And I'm telling you, it's Jesus. Jesus.